Mesa forward comes Edwards all the way into the penalty area for New York Red Bulls and he shoots as well and it's saved by Joe Willis to his right hand side had to stand very tall as he drilled that Tom Edwards at uh, the Nashville goalkeeper. Welcome into the Club and Country podcast, the podcast of record for Nashville SE coverage from two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Nashville SE radio analyst Wes Bowling. And I am Tim Sullivan, the owner, editor, proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. Our gratitude to Moon Taxi for the music and to ESPN 94.9 for the highlight of Joe Willis's save. It's a big week for Joe Willis. We'll tell you why in just a minute, but it's also a big week for Nashville SC as we are one week away from playoff kickoff for Nashville in year two. One weekend removed from the biggest World Cup qualifying result for the U.S. Men's National Team since... Uh, it's been a while. Lots of club to talk about. Lots of country, Tim. It's a good thing there's a podcast in Nashville that talks about both of those things. Yeah, I mean, this year especially, uh, obviously last year was a very different situation, but it's so nice that the reasons that there are weird gaps in the Nash- Nashville SC season is that there's international soccer, and when that international soccer includes the sort of result that we saw on Friday evening, uh, it's something that I can definitely get behind. I love I love me a little Dos Acero action. And a standout performance from a Nashville SC player in that game. We'll get into that. But in our early shout, three Nashville SC players are awards finalists who has the best chance to win. We will also preview the MLS Cup playoffs and make our Western Conference picks. We'll come back with our Eastern Conference picks a little bit later on as we get ready for kickoff between Nashville SC and Orlando. Then we'll embrace consensus. One thing we will tell you right off the bat about those awards finalists is that Gary Smith was not one. He was not among the top three vote-getters for Coach of the Year. Should he have been? We'll debate that, and then we'll go outside in. The home team has won a match in Cincinnati for only the second time ever at uh, TQL Stadium, Tim. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The U.S. women's national team has a victory there as well. I didn't realize they had played there. I apologize. Yes, the the premier national team of U.S. soccer has already won there, and the U.S. men, of course, beat Mexico. We'll get into that, plus boys in gold. In other international jerseys, Kind of not the most active start to international break for any of the boys in gold besides Walker Zimmerman. And then we'll get into the mailbag as some of you are looking now already toward next season. We'll have a whole off season to break down roster moves and MLS rocker me- roster mechanisms. We may have to do a one on one show uh, just to, to educate everybody and reeducate ourselves. Uh, speaking <laughs> for myself there, but how complex that all is. But but can Nashville keep the stars that have gotten it? to this point who will be free agents at the end of the season we'll take a quick glance at that and most importantly who serves the best soccer themed beer in town this one really had us thinking in the final whistle we will uh, get into some content recommendations as always but let's move into our early shout Nashville on the attack Rios back to Hani Mukhtar he has the answer and of course Nashville roars right back into this match Honey Mukhtar, 16 goals, 12 assists this season, and he is an MVP finalist. He joins two boys in gold on final awards lists. Walker Zimmerman, nominated for Defender of the Year. He, of course, took that prize last year. And Joe Willis, a finalist for Goalkeeper of the Year. Thanks, by the way, to ESPN 94.9 for the highlight of that Honey Mukhtar goal. Tim, the first two, no surprise. Honey Mukhtar has been listed in the top two really for much of the latter part of the season in that MVP race. Walker, of course, won defender of the year last year. Joe Willis, though, in the top three for goalkeeper of the year, a little bit of a surprise to me, but also a delight. Yeah, I thought last year he should have been one of the finalists and um, he didn't have quite as good of a year statistically this year. So it's kind of funny. It's maybe maybe a little bit of a makeup call here 
Um, as I talked about last week, he was not my vote. I voted for Andre Blake, who mm-hmm. um, I believe is going to be the runner-up to Matt Turner, who is also a deserved guy who's going to get a ton of votes, yeah. has gotten a ton of votes. The voting totally. is over. But um, Mukhtar was my MVP vote. And while I still think the, the PR firm that he hired, um, it, says, it says here on the sheet, extra time radio publicist, <laughs> uh, it means that Carlos Hill is going to win it. But this one is going to be much closer than anyone thought when ETR was already anointing Hill, uh, you know, basically every month until October. Um, I do think there's a chance that Zimmerman repeats just because he dominates the name recognition among those guys. But um, while I don't think Willis is going to win, finishing top three is a deserved recognition for him. It's huge. Yeah. And and especially when you look at the players he beat in the voting, as we mentioned, Gary Smith, not a coach of the year finalist. And that tells you that obviously choosing a top three in any of these categories is tough. You're leaving out good candidates. And that's certainly true in the goalkeeper race. Um, both keepers who tied him in clean sheets at the top of the league, William Yarbrough and Carlos Cornell, miss out the Rapids and the Red Bulls keepers, respectively. Yarbrough also taught, tied for the top of the league with 17 wins. And Seattle's Stefan Fry ranks second in the league in goals against average. Sounders getting a lot of postseason love, as they tend to do. They've had a good season, although not a great finish to it, but he misses out. Uh, Atlanta's Brand, Brad Guzan with the league's highest save percentage. I know the team performance was not as high there, um, but he's left out. Willis, uh, in, in a stat that I like to use and look at, that, that expected goals minus goals per 90, which kind of may, comes out to goals prevented. Willis ranked just 19th in Major League Soccer, but he gets credit from the voters, Tim, for organizing the best defense in the league. It's Nashville as he once again led the league in goals allowed. Yeah, I'm not as big of a fan of, of goals minus expected goals. I like it. I like to get it as a rate. How What okay. percentage over or under did you allow, um, especially over if you're Kenneth Vermeer of FC Oof. Cincinnati, who Oof. I know we rip on FC Cincinnati a lot, but I cannot en- envision what was going through their minds. And they're like, we have a really bad defense. Let's also get a really bad keeper. But uh, yeah, I think when you look at the, at, the, at the rate of goals allowed compared to expected, Willis was bang average, 1.00, 100% of X goals allowed, nothing more, nothing less. 31 goals on 30.86 expected goals, according to American Soccer Analysis. To his credit, I think one of the reasons that you can say he's maybe more deserving than the numbers look is uh, a handful of the ones that he allowed were, were totally outside the keeper's purview. There were two own goals in the final eight games, one from Tabar Nanunga and one from Dave Romney. A number of set-piece concessions that weren't really his fault. He faced many more penalty kicks than he saw last year, where I believe he only saw one. So, I mean, there were two keepers so far ahead of the field in Blake and Turner uh, that to, to have the honor that he does in in being, I guess, the uh, second runner up here is something that is is a, a really big validation of, of not just what he does, but kind of what you mentioned, how he helps the Nashville team find the success that it does, even if his individual numbers don't necessarily display that. So the narrative last year around this team nationally was that Nashville parks the bus. They're exclusively a defensive club. Let's give credit to Walker Zimmerman for doing that. The narrative this year seems, and we don't agree with that narrative, by the way, the park the bus thing is infuriating. But anyway, that was what that was what the national perception was. This year, it seems to be Nashville defense first club. Oh, yeah, but also Hani Mukhtar is there to help fuel the attack. And, and the credit is interesting, Tim, to, to see it given to, to Willis as well as Zimmerman mm-hmm. for the defensive strength win. You know, he's not a guy that has made many highlight saves, some very good saves, certainly. We've played a couple highlights on this show. But there's not one that you think of as a save of the year candidate. And yet that consistency, that stability, I think, has become a hallmark of this team's reputation and in many ways of its reality. Yeah, I think a couple of his highlight reel saves came in the final game of the year against New York Red Bulls. Maybe if he'd made a couple of those earlier, there might have been a chance that he'd caught a few more eyes even before. But again, the numbers, uh, 
you know, I'm a, I'm a guy who's going to live and die by the numbers. And they certainly yeah. say that Blake and Turner are well ahead of the field, but I do think the fact that Willis um, maybe went under-recognized last year had something to do with mm -hmm. why he's getting the recognition this year. We'll talk in a minute about a Nashville SEC's manager who was under-recognized last year and again this year. And as the full voting tallies come out after the award is given, we'll know where Gary Smith ranked on the list of Coach of the Year candidates, but we do know he was not in the top three. That will be our embraced consensus topic in just a bit. But now let's get into a preview of the Nashville SC and Orlando match as the boys in gold, of course, take on the Lions. It's the fourth meeting between these teams this year, and it will decide who advances to the conference semifinals to take on the winner of Philadelphia and New York Red Bulls. And, and so for our gold nuggets, we thought we'd look at how tight this series has been. Nashville and Orlando have played six times. Each team has won just once. The other four matches have been draws, including the last three. Every time these teams played this year, Tim, it ended a draw. Yeah, last year they went 1-1-1, one, one, and one, splitting the games in Orlando and, and drawing the Nashville leg. This year, two more draws in Nashville, one in Central Florida. I think when you look at the way the games played out, uh, you feel a little bit better about playing in Nashville for sure. And I, that's been the case regardless of who the opposition is. But certainly there hasn't been anything to slide between these teams all year with how close these results have been. And the scoreline tells the story too, as you would expect. The total score between those six games, among those six games, Orlando 10, Nashville 9. So an average team of just over three combined goals per match. Both teams have scored every time. Neither has notched a clean sheet. Neither has been shut out in any of those six matches. That's not something you would expect from a Nashville team that, of course, has a good attack, but but again, is, is defensively driven. What is it about this matchup that seems to open up the respective attacks for these teams? Yeah, I think some of it is just the, the style that Orlando plays, which is getting the fullbacks high up the field to create chances. Um, obviously, they do it a little bit less when they don't have their first choice fullbacks, as we saw uh, in the final game between these two this year, but they still do it. Um, that's a style that Nashville really does like to play against because they want to play into that space behind high fullbacks, and that's how they like to generate their attacks. Um, obviously, we've seen penalties. We've seen set-piece goals. So some of it is just kind of a little, maybe a little bit of the randomness, but um, you know, it's developing into a nice little rivalry, and I guess when you see that, it's something that you, you look at and say, okay, maybe they're just coming to play, and, and you're getting whether that's maybe a little bit of a goof from Pedro Galese or, or from Joe Willis, or it's something that the, the attacking players step up because of the rivalry factor. It's really something that's kind of developing a little bit more and maybe uh, with a little bit of fireworks in Nissan stadium on Tuesday, it'll be something that, that uh, takes the rivalry to the next level. This is a club in Orlando that seems to thrive uh, on any opportunity for revenge, they are fueled by anger. <laughs> you saw <laughs> last year, just a, you know, incredible back and forth, the fracas, uh, all kinds of drama against New York City FC in their first round match. And they have every reason, Tim, at least in their eyes, to bring the anger to Music City after feeling robbed in stoppage time against the boys in gold. Ball went in the back of the net, was ruled out due to a foul. Thanks to the Orlando City social media account, we saw that there was a foul, even though <laughs> others disagree. To what extent do you think that emotion could play a role for Orlando? Or as a numbers guy, do you believe ultimately the team is what its numbers say it is? And that, you know, one game is small sample size. Who knows what can happen? But that ultimately it's going to come down to the quality of the team and not to that, that motivation factor. Yeah, I think to a certain extent, the, the emotions are a driver of where the numbers end up. Um, obviously, the numbers are, are much more about individual quality, like Hani Mukhtar isn't going to um, go out and, and 
finish second, I presume, in the MVP race because he was angry. He's going to do it because he's a really good player. But if he has a little bit more to play for, if there is a little bit of emotion into it. I think soccer is, is kind of a different sport than some other sports. I, like, I think football is one that that probably this doesn't play as big of a factor, um, except for maybe occasionally here and there. But in, in soccer, there's, it's such an individual but team sport that you can really have those tiny emotional differences bring out the best in a guy like Hani Mukhtar, bring out the best in a guy uh, like Luis Nani, bring out the best in a guy like Daryl DK. And that's where you start to see uh, the emotion and the numbers come together a little bit. Congratulations, Walker Zimmerman. You just dealt with Raul Jimenez in Mexico, and now you get to face Daryl DK again. And I know, I know, I know, DK is not a Premier League caliber guy just yet. At least he's not on a Premier League team. But DK has been elite in, in stretches, of course, in the championship in England and most importantly, against Nashville SC. He scored five goals in his five meetings with the boys in gold. Tim, he's heating up at the right time for the Lions. He scored in each of his last four matches, including that one at home against Nashville SC. Yeah, he's hitting, I believe, point four mummy expected mummy celebrations per <laughs> outing. So, um, no, but he did have this year a really rough stretch uh, immediately coming after coming back from the English championship, as you mentioned. Um, he's, he's been over there and they need to recover from a separated shoulder that he suffered in the Gold Cup with U.S. men's national team when he was on the same team with Walker Zimmerman, who also came away injured in that competition. But he's always been a player with tons of potential and sometimes potential is enough to find a lot of success in MLS, especially when the potential is like, you know, the the ceiling for Daryl DK is like best number nine in the world. Um, he's almost certainly not going to hit his his ceiling. But when you do have that sort of ceiling, a game here and there um, and for Nashville, it's very scary. A game here and there can can really sh- you can show as much of that potential as possible and, and really put a fear into an MLS team and especially. I'll be in the Nashville SC radio booth and I'll be excited to um, to wish Nashville SC the best in that match. But I am genuinely eager to watch DK in person again and Nani in person again. This is a club that is compelling viewing uh, because they are either uh, being very impressive or very implosive, <laughs> depending on the day. Uh, they, they, they are known to implode and use some of that anger and um, and salt and strength to their disadvantage at, at times. A reminder of the Eastern Conference bracket as we get you ready for what's happening around the league. New England, well, they're going to be hanging out and waiting for the conference semifinals. They'll play the winner of New York City FC, which hosts Atlanta. Philadelphia Union takes on New York Red Bulls, Nashville SC, and Orlando City. And the winners of those two will advance to the conference semis and play each other. Yeah, I think one thing to think about with New England especially is Matt Turner, you thought he was probably going to get a bunch of reps playing with U.S. men's national team. Zach Steffen starts against Mexico. Zach Steffen is slated to start uh, tonight against Jamaica. So it's going to be interesting to see with that extra buy. How t- how rusty is this guy, or is it the rest that he needs after a long season? Well, that's the age-old question, Tim. You know, we talk about it in the NFL a lot, too. Would you rather, mm-hmm. you know, w- get the get the bye and skip into the next round of the playoffs, or would you rather get the, that game under your belt, you know, get used to the intensity of, of the playoff level of the sport? I think it's true for New England as well. And, and you, I mean, they weren't exactly going for broke in their last match against Inter-Miami either. Mm-hmm. You're not going to tell me they're, they're you know, they're not going to win that game if they – put their, all the resources into it. They lose one nothing at home on the day that they raise the supporter shield, which was definitely the focus of the day. I, I think it is very tempting to look at C's, to look at point totals, and want to go chalk. Mm-hmm. The playoffs, especially in Major League Soccer, are an entirely different season. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
Um, especially, you know, you look at the NYCFC Atlanta United, that's one of the coldest teams in the East versus one of the hottest teams in the East with mm-hmm. the way they finish their seasons. Um, Union Red Bulls is the rivalry match. It's obviously going to have uh, all sorts of emotion going into it. I just talked about how emotion is a real, a real thing. Even there will be blood. There out, will be but, blood in that match. Yeah. And then, of course, of, of course, we're, we take a much closer look at, at Nashville SC versus Orlando City. So I think we probably feel a little bit more informed about it. But if I asked you right now what the score is going to be, I don't think either of us would be able to nail it right away there's just so much intrigue regardless of where teams finish in the final table it really is kind of an any given sunday or or tuesday <laughs> since the playoffs <laughs> have such a weird structure in, in major league soccer um anybody can beat anybody on a given day if you're one of those uh, i guess top seven in your conference this year cannot wait for nashville sc and orlando a week from now next tuesday at nissan stadium let's journey west now we've not talked a lot of western conference soccer this year but thought it might be fun to give you just a quick primer on the first round of matches there make our picks in each of those three games colorado gets the one seed on a crazy decision day they beat lafc on the last day and they watch carnage happen all around them they will play the winner of portland and minnesota i once flew from uh, the minneapolis airport to the portland airport Congrats, man. That's, that's not relevant. Did to you anything. did you take pictures of the PDX carpet though? That's the most important. No, I didn't part. do that. I didn't do that. Long live the BNA carpet. I, I do have a, uh, a a welcome mat in our garage that was made of that old old carpet. So anytime I want to reminisce, I just go outside to the outdoor freezer. Uh, anyway, Portland, Minnesota. I always think of Delta whenever they play each other. <laughs> that's dumb. That's dumb. Anyway, they play each other. Seattle and RSL, the two seven game, and then Sporting KC takes on a resurgent Vancouver team. RSL, by the way, uh, if you're an SKC supporter, you would say they shouldn't even be in the playoffs. A, a late goal after a handball the other way was was ruled to be not a handball. Narrator, it was a handball. But RSL gets away with it, knocks Galaxy out of the playoffs in the waning moments. So they're just happy to be there. Uh, thought we'd make a quick pick for each of these. First, Portland and Minnesota. Um, I like Portland here. They've they've won three straight, scored eight goals in those matches. Um, they're the best home team in the West, and of course they'll be playing on their home field. Uh, Minnesota hasn't beaten a playoff team on the road since beating, well, Portland back in June. I'll conveniently ignore that it was Portland they beat on the road. Uh, the Loons won all three against Portland this week, this year, in fact, but but I don't know that that's just, just, dig, just keep digging West. Keep but I don't digging. think it's well, I don't think it's terribly valuable because the last match of those three was in July. So it's been a little while. And as we've just discussed, a lot has happened. Um, I'll give the Timbers the edge based on that recent form. If again, they can continue that after a long layoff. And I'll say two, one Timbers. Yeah, I'm going to go the other way on Minnesota because uh, Portland has been a significantly below average team this year in expected goals terms. And um, those are typically more predictive than what actual results say. Um, Sometimes teams can survive on that luck. Columbus crew was a pretty lucky team in the regular season last year, then got really hot in the playoffs and rode it to MLS cup. Um, But more often than not, it ends up catching up with you. I think if Portland doesn't outdo what it has done over the course of this year. And I, I don't think there's reason to believe that they will sooner or later, that luck kind of catches up with you a little bit. And yes, some of it is good goalkeeping. We see it with new England and Matt Turner as well, but I do think Minnesota uh, after also being a very lucky team last year has been pretty unlucky this year. And, mm-hmm. and that kind of flips the tables to me a little bit and, and makes it uh, I'll, I'll give the edge to the loons here. It's going to be a really fun one. I could see it going either way, certainly. So we'll embrace debate on that one. Um, Seattle against RSL. Seattle's winless in six. Uh, they may not be in this for the long haul, but you know what? Regular season Seattle rarely looks like postseason Seattle. Uh, with a healthy roster, minus potentially Joel Paolo, their MVP candidate. 
I think they have enough quality to beat an RSL team that, as we just discussed, is pretty happy to be there. I'll say two nil Sounders. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go four one, um, just because I didn't put score lines in the rundown, and I'm gonna make them up as I go. But definitely never pick against Brian Schmetzer in the postseason. Obviously, he is not perfect in the postseason, but you'd be unwise. You would. It's a consistently betting on Brian Schmetzer teams is going to be a money maker for you, and especially against a team as weak as ours. So my initial pick was going to be Seattle on this one, and then SKC beating Seattle in that next round and, and going and actually representing the West in MLS Cup. And I looked into it a little closer. I don't like SKC very much right now. I don't like their form. Uh, I'm going to call an upset. Vancouver over SKC. Um, it is not something that, that I would have foreseen predicting a couple months ago. Vancouver just hung around even, or maybe because of uh, the firing of, uh, <laughs> of, of Mark Dos Santos. Uh, SKC with just one clean sheet in its last nine. Vancouver scored in each of its last eight. And Brian White, who I wrote in a rundown as Brain White, unintentionally, Heck but yeah. maybe maybe that was some sort of you know Freudian slip or something because he is a, quite an intelligent player. Um, eight goals, four assists in his last 11 after New York Red Bulls had no use for him. Um, Alan Polito back in training for SKC, their striker, after missing six matches with injury, but I, I think he'll be out of rhythm. This attack has been somewhat out of rhythm. I think Vancouver wins this one in extra time. Three, two. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the last eight games in which Vancouver has scored. Let's not forget that it includes two games against San Jose. They scored one goal in a 4-1 loss to Seattle. So they're not they're not necessarily lighting the world on fire here. Um, the flip side of it is Peter Vermees is almost like a reverse Brian Schmetzer. Perhaps unfairly, SKC has a reputation as being a playoffs underachiever at times. I still think there's enough in the tank to win at least this round. I think SKC manages to take care of business against a Vancouver team that I will, I will push back against, against the Dos Santos firing being a turning point here. I think it's largely about no longer playing all their home games in Salt Lake city. <laughs> um, they really struggled and and they were still on, on playoff pace. I believe they were close to playoff pace at least uh, in terms of expected goals and not so far off of it in, in the table when he was fired, but nonetheless, Yes, they are better, they are a better team now, but still, I do think it's not quite enough to knock off the Sporting Kansas City Wizards. Let's call them the, let's call them the Casey Wiz for a throwback. Yeah, old here. school, old school. I appreciate that for sure. Yeah, uh, I think Vancouver was on a, a multi-game unbeaten streak, but it was a Nashville sea style unbeaten streak with a lot of draws mm-hmm. thrown in there when Dos Santos was let go, and, and I think maybe there were some other cultural reasons for that too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it seemed like there was a lot more. Yeah. One thing I will point to is when a team changes coaches and all of a sudden XG underachievement turns into XG overachievement. Again, going back to the thing where emotion is real, even though typically I I might not say that as as part of my in-depth analysis, I do think that's a situation where when you see a coach get fired and all of a sudden the team goes from underachieving to overachieving or vice versa, it kind of tells you how they felt about the former coach. Yeah, I think that's that's completely fair. And they've ridden that, whether you want to call it a new manager bump or not, they've ridden that Mm -hmm. um, all the way to a decent spot in the playoffs. And I think each of these three matches, Tim, I mean, we've had disagreement on a couple of them, I, I think have the potential to be really compelling We'll see about Seattle and RSL, but at least two of the three <laughs> are going to be really good. And the East, we've talked about the carnage that could result really in any one of these three. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be an absolute thrill. Uh, let's go on and embrace consensus now and get back to the topic that we uh, we previewed a little bit earlier. The one major Nashville SC performer this year who was not a finalist for his respective award, and that is Gary Smith and Coach of the Year. The three finalists, Bruce Arena from New England, surely the prohibitive, prohibitive favorite there, given the points record New England set this year. Robin Fraser out in Colorado, and Brian Schmetzer in Seattle is 
number three in no particular order. And so the question we will ask quite simply, Tim, I'll let you go first here. Should Gary Smith have been a finalist? No particular order, you say, sir. Well, <laughs> no, um, yeah, I think I think uh, he should have been. Uh, Robin Frazier was my vote. I, I do vote for this award as a member of the media. And, and Bruce Arena, as you mentioned, is the guy who's going to run away with the award, um, not least of which because he's also the GM of New England. So he put together the roster with which he set a points record. Maybe uh, juicing it a little bit mm-hmm. if, if you consider those two separate and the coaching job less impressive, although I think it was still pretty impressive. But um, I think I think Schmetzer, great coach, obviously, his run of success is is something that you can't simply ignore. And I do I do want to be clear. I hate the oh, they were good last year. So if they're good again this year, um, you know, he's already he already is set up. So it doesn't count. Um, You know, look at like Big Ten football. Here I here I go again, guys. <laughs> Jim Trestle won a national championship and later six straight Big Ten titles and never took home a Big Ten Coach of the Year award. And it, it just pains me to sit here and, and compliment <laughs> an Ohio State. Head I was going to say, I'm not surprised you'd go Big yeah. Ten football. I'm surprised you're going to turn yeah. an Ohio State coach. Well, into it's, a it's it, figure. But like, think think about a guy with that resume never winning a Big Ten Coach of the Year because it's just expected of him. That's that's yeah. a ridiculous thing. And I think Schmetzer, who has not won an MLS Coach of the Year award yet. Uh, kind of suffers from that a little bit, but he's doing more with more. The The roster that Seattle has is it's not one that he put together, unlike Bruce Arena putting together the New England roster. And then when you look at how Seattle kind of limped to the finish this year, they started 13 straight unbeaten and then a nine, eight and four run to end of the year. That's that's a borderline collapse. And when you have the guys that we've talked about, when you have Jean Paulo, when you have Raul Ruiz Diaz, Christian Roldan, like those are guys that most teams in this league would kill for any yeah. one of them. And he's got all three. So it's, it's tough to say a guy who um, oversaw that sort of late season collapse, even if they still finished in second in the West is a guy that's deserving of the award. And I think Gary Smith should have been third over him again. Um, you only vote for one as, as a media member, you only vote for one. I voted mm-hmm. for Robin Frazier. If I could have voted for, for two or three, Gary Smith probably would have been number two on my list either way. And I feel like there are probably a lot of media members out there who are like, Oh, if there were two, I would have voted for Gary Smith as number two. Um, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but it seems, he seems much more like a number two for the award. Mm-hmm. In which case, you know, if there were a ranked choice or whatever, yeah. he would have, he would have finished up on that list over maybe a guy like Schmetzer. Which is how I like to do these types of awards. I think ranked choice gives you a better, a better picture. I feel like last year it was, I don't really remember. I think I you're right. Speak for the MLS voting process. I think I remember a spreadsheet where it, I, yeah. think, I think there was there was some of that. Um, yeah, and, and obviously, if you are even in discussion as a worthy finalist, you've had an admirable season, and so you're not going to hear either of us sit here and bash Brian Schmetzer. Schmetzer I can't say his name, but Schmetzer and the job that that he has done this year. Um, you know, Seattle finished second in the West. Every team has faced adversity. Seattle probably a little bit more than most. Some of those stars were out for for a good bit of time. They had to play a bunch of 19 and 20-year-olds, if not younger. Uh, In fact, definitely younger in Austin and in a couple other matches there. So, But again, he's got the resources of an academy upon which to rely on those moments in a year where every club had to rotate considerably because of international duty, because of, of a compact schedule. So when you look at what Gary Smith did, I agree with you that it's worthy of consideration as a finalist uh, and inclusion as a finalist over Schmetzer, not over, not over Robin, not over Bruce. Uh, those guys I think are far and away worthy finalists, 31 lineup combinations in 34 matches. 
for Gary Smith and this Nashville team. They had, of course, last year the fifth best expansion debut in MLS history. And this year they finished four places higher than that finish. Uh, they did so because of substantive improvement in the attack. Um, the talent level was, was, of course, upgraded as well, but a lot of it was getting more out of the guys that were already around. Uh, more than half a goal per game more this year than last with a near, nearly identical defensive record. And you know, I think one thing that I see as I'm voting for this award, and I'm not a voter uh, for it, I think you look at, at transformation over time. And so you know, if you want to give this finalist opportunity, opportunity to Schmetzer because of what he has done over the years in Seattle, I can understand that because I would argue that, that Gary Smith is deserving for, for that same reason, a club that went from non-existence to third in the East in two years. Uh, one of four modern MLS teams to make the playoffs in its first year. And then of those four teams, Nashville had the best second year improvement. So if you're looking at a coach with transformative ability, unless you want to give all of the credit to Walker and to Joe Willis and give, give them plenty of love and to Hani Mukhtar as well, I think you have to point to Gary Smith. Now, the problem is, and I tweeted this out on Monday as well, if Gary didn't win it last year, he's probably never going to win it, short of winning a supporter. It's the, it's the Trestle conundrum. It's it the is. Trestle conundrum. He set himself up to fail. Yeah, last year it was, yeah, he was he was good, but here are the other people who were better. And then this year it was, well, he was great last year, so why would we give it to him this year when there wasn't dramatic improvement? So Give it to uh, Kirk Ferentz every year. That's it, man. Just slow and steady wins the race, right? Eight and four, a nine and three Iowa at, at best, over and over again consistent. Um, Nashville could stand to be the Iowa of MLS, by the way. That's actually a frighteningly good comparison. I could totally see that. I, th- I think we uh, were stewing an off-season episode idea here. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. There could be a whole MLS teams as college football. Oh, okay. All right. I'm writing this down. That's great. That's great. As two college football junkies who also, of course, love Got news for soccer. you. FC Cincinnati's Tennessee. <laughs> and we've had a good show. We've uh, had a good run. Braden Hall's going to be co-hosting <laughs> with me next week. Oh no. All right. Uh, we're going to move on now before I get too, too red faced here and move into outside <laughs> in. And uh, speaking of FC Cincinnati, a home team winning at TQL stadium, Tim points out that now the U S women, the U S men and FC Cincinnati have each against won the all same odds, FC Cincinnati <laughs> <laughs> won the same amount of games as each other. They're at inter Miami actually has them doubled up with a couple of wins at TQL stadium. Uh, it was a huge win. Dos Acero. Uh, we took it in together over, over beers at, uh, at T line shout out to uh, maybe a place we should consider sponsoring the show. It's great. Curling bar, <laughs> West Nashville. Um, it was a banner night for the U.S. national team. I, I raised it earlier as kind of a joke, but but can you recall a bigger qualifying win for this group? You can't count anything last time, last cycle, because they didn't end up making it. So we're looking back at maybe some of the other Dos Aceros back in the day, right? Unfortunately, with the way the last cycle turned out, I think a draw in Azteca might have been as good as a win. <laughs> but yeah. unfortunately, given what happened on the last day of, this, of the cycle, it ended up rendering all of that irrelevant. But otherwise... It's been it's been ages. It really has been since there has been um, such a a notable result because of maybe the narratives around Mexico and the U.S. more than what has actually been happening. I think mm-hmm. some of the U.S. fan base has been a little restless with Greg Berhalter. I think some of the criticism is a little unfair, especially yeah. when you look at the results. Um, no. Uh, no U.S. team has has beaten Mexico in two trophies in the same summer, and they certainly have not done that and then followed it up with a World Cup qualifying win. So it's something that has never been done before. Obviously, the process and, and the results can can at times be frustrating. But 
this is the payoff is, is mm-hmm. when you beat Mexico, Joe Cero, uh, when the home team wins in TQL stadium, it's something that it does not happen <laughs> pretty much ever. So you should be excited for it. It's a big night. And, and you can go a number of places for, for deep, full detailed analysis of the U S men's national team, but let's give it a Nashville SC uh, paint job here and talk about Walker Zimmerman. He was one of the men of the match. Uh, certainly, you know, mm-hmm. he, he wasn't involved in a, in a goal. He, he, you know, probably there are two or three other guys you might consider as, as the man of the match. But, but he could not have played much better in the role he was asked to do than he played in the clean sheet win over Mexico. Um, have his prospects of making the World Cup roster ever been brighter than they are now? Yeah, I, he's in. He's in, barring barring yeah. a major dip in form. He's he's going to Qatar next November. Um, uh, you know, as long as he's healthy, he's proven to be one of the best in the pool. I'm kind of going back to that Burhalter criticism. People were so upset that he left John Anthony Brooks out of this camp. But when you look at how Walker performed, when you look at how his center back partner, Miles Robinson, who unfortunately will miss um, tonight's game against Jamaica or this afternoon's game <laughs> against Jamaica, as, as the case may be, um, after a red card. I mean, you look at that and you say, yes, John Brooks is a good player, but uh, these guys are good players too. He left off a guy who wasn't in great form and it it is paying off. Um, Walker obviously provides very, very, very different things than John Brooks. And I think that's something that you want to have both of those skill sets represented when you go to Qatar. We'll see if Walker features. Uh, you may already know if you're listening to this Wednesday, if he featured in Jamaica as well. Certainly anticipate he would, though, with Miles Robinson out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walker, a, a primary option. I think a, I think a Walker, Chris Richards pairing. Yeah, I'm that looks to. really good. Walker up high, Richards with the ball a little bit, distributing. I think it's a great, great combo. And just so you know how this works, by the way. So um, Gary Smith, who we talked to him a few weeks ago, and we talked a little bit about some of the international stuff, but. Um, he gets data, very detailed data from most national confederations on work rate, on you know training time, on 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 the stuff that he can't just see while watching the match. And so he will know as as Walker, as Alistair, as Randall Leal return from international duty, um, he'll know what he's dealing with, what their, the players' bodies are probably going to be like. And uh, you know, with a week break between this and the playoffs, only an injury would certainly keep those players out of, of competing for the boys in gold in the playoffs. You would, you would expect, um, Alistair Johnston did not start against Costa Rica. First time that's happened for Canada in qualifiers it went 19 minutes, but Tim, it seems to be a question of just rotation, right? Um, yeah. just a few, few days later, they will host Mexico. Of course that's happening now Tuesday night. And surely Alistair, who's been a first choice uh, player in that, in that setup for John Herdman will start against Mexico. Yeah, I think you mentioned it. I think you hit it on the head there. It's it's more of a rotation deal. And and maybe there are matchups with Mexico where they, they end up saying, uh, where John Herdman kind of goes to him before the game and says, hey, look, you're a sub more than a, a player who's in that starting 11 because of X, Y, and Z matchup. Um, I would say, based on what we saw on Friday night, Mexico shouldn't be that scary to Canada, um, especially <laughs> especially in 20 centimeters of snow in Edmonton. Oh, man, it's a mess up there. <laughs> But but yeah, he, I mean, he's the guy, as, as you mentioned, is, is pretty much a nailed on starter when they really need their top players. And um, so we'll see if, if that ends up happening. We will have seen by the time most people yeah. end up listening to this, I guess. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's he's a key player for Canada. Randall Ayal, 26 minutes of reserve duty in that loss to Canada, really didn't have much of an impact and has struggled Tim to break his way into his country's 11 as Costa Rica has struggled to get results. Yeah, I think I think some of that is and he's not the only guy. There are a bunch of guys in MLS and, and maybe a few who play 
in other places in the world who are kind of fed up with, with the way the Costa Rican Federation has been unable to put good teams together, has been unable to hire a coach. I think um, Luis Fernando Suarez is looking even worse a coach than Ronald Gonzalez, who was axed this summer, and he was famously unpopular among his players. Um, so, yeah, there's an element of Randall not being able to break in, but maybe there's an element of it being Randall's choice not to break in. Mm. That's why I was a little bit surprised that he was even called up this window, because it does seem like there's there's maybe some motivational stuff that, uh, you know, he, he and some of the other guys may kind of be disillusioned with where this Costa Rica, this edition of the Costa Rica project is going. And next up for Costa Rica, they will host Honduras on Tuesday night. Uh, finally, the Costa Rica struggles really opened the door for Panama. And Anamal Godoy, the captain of Panama, was out of the 11 in Honduras. Next up, they take on El Salvador, a match they will be expected to win at home. I mean, they beat US, uh, the U.S. at home. They should should beat El Salvador. If they do that, they will maintain their hold on a top-four spot and could even rise into an automatic qualifying position with six matches to go. They've looked really strong, and their captain obviously wasn't involved this mm-hmm. time, but has been a key driver for that team's success. Yeah, I, I, I think I mentioned on, on the pod a couple of weeks ago that I thought he might not get called in just because he is, uh, you know, 31, 32 years old. He's had a really long run into the season uh, for, for the end of the regular season for Nashville, plus the past two qualifying windows. But getting a getting a break against Honduras might be exactly what he needs. And I do think Anibal is going to be a huge factor here. And I think Panama's really setting itself up to at least be in that number four spot and get the intercontinental playoff. And I, you know, obviously after making their, I believe their first world cup ever, if I recall correctly mm-hmm. in 2018, um, they seem to be in a really good position to, to be able to play themselves into two straight. So much momentum for the Panamanians moving to the mailbag now. And Robbie Asis asks, given how well and composed Nashville as he has played when trailing, how critical is it? that they get the first goal versus Orlando next week. So first we'll look at the stats and then give uh, give our answers. Uh, Nashville has conceded the first goal 15 times this season. It has lost just three of those matches. It has come back to at least earn a result in all but uh, but three of them. Looking at Orlando, they have won nine of the 15 matches in which they've scored first. They've earned a result in all but one of them. So, uh, Tim, how would an Orlando opener change the dynamic of this match? Yeah, Orlando went up early in the final regular season game between these teams. Uh, and unlike the other times when NSC faced a deficit this year, the boys in gold weren't racking up a ton of XG, weren't racking up a ton of shots on target in search of a, of a, of a winner or a, a leveler, although they did eventually find the game-tying goal through Hani Mukhtar. But, of course, Nashville at home and Nashville on the road are a very different story. I think part of part of the narrative around Nashville's comebacks has been a lot of early concessions at home. Mm-hmm. I mean, this team is, is very capable of, of mounting comebacks when they're at Nissan Stadium. So that's something that uh, really should play to their advantage should Orlando score first um all three goals that Orlando scored in Nashville this season were from dead ball opportunities so it's something Mm. that uh you don't necessarily have to worry about quite as much if you can lock it down in in that key phase of the game and if you do manage to you know give up an early goal and start coming back you just have to lock down on them again and it's something that I think Nashville is more likely than Orlando to find the the ultimate winner because you do need a winner uh in the playoff match yeah, I'll give it a five. Eh, I'll say six. A six out of ten. It's nice to get ahead, uh, but you know Nashville had that two 0 lead on Orlando the last time these teams met at Nissan Stadium, and it ended up not mattering. So um, obviously, two two would take you to extra time, and who knows yeah. at that point. But but I'll say a six. It's something you want. It's something you will pursue. Mm-hmm. 
it is, as you've said, not a death blow if Orlando scores first. Yeah, yeah, I'll only give it a three because uh, I because of what I said, I do think Nashville is, is almost uniquely built to be able to come back in Nissan Stadium. At the same time, uh, it's it's way better reportedly it's way better to be leading than trailing so so giving it only a three is is kind of a vote of confidence in what the nashville project has been able to pull off it is better to be leading than trailing we're going to check the stats it is better to score goals than to concede goals Mm, i'll i'm willing to die on that hill you said you're a numbers man you're proving it man that's that's deep stuff finn breland and john mueller asked similar questions so we're going to marry them together uh not finn and john but the questions themselves um (laughs) With the growing profiles of non-DP players, Zimmerman, Johnston, etc., what should fans reasonably expect year over year? Do the financial rules allow the club to retain rising stars, or are they likely to move on as soon as an offer from overseas comes in? It's a really good question, especially for uh, Finn, who's a Liverpool guy, EPL fan, who's still learning the ropes of Major League Soccer, as are many of, of you. Uh, John Mueller uh, asks a similar question. How do you balance wanting a player to perform well, but not well enough? to be sold abroad. So Tim, I'll let you take that where you want to take it. Um, I don't worry about players uh, playing kind of in that sweet spot where they are, are winning a lot of games, but not being sold abroad. I think if players play well enough, uh, you win before they get sold uh, from a human perspective. If it's a guy's dream to go abroad, you can't begrudge him that. And you want him to get those opportunities. You want to have your players uh, reach self-actualization. If, if only because it helps you have uh, a recruitment process later for other guys who are kind of on that same path. And it can be kind of a, a, a virtuous cycle a little bit, but it's, it's kind of the nature of being in a league. That's not the top dog globally. Um, you don't want to be FC Dallas, which uh, wins nothing, but still loses a lot of players overseas <laughs> yeah. with a competent front office, a competent coaching staff, and, and most importantly, a good relationship between those sides to work effectively together. You should be able to get results when you're in that sweet spot, not necessarily guys who aren't good enough to go abroad, but guys before they are sold abroad, mm-hmm. they, they are being sold because they have brought your club success. You mentioned a coach from a rival school as a favorable example earlier in Jim Trestle. So I'll do the same and, and reference John Calipari at Kentucky. Uh, big, I'm a big Tennessee guy. If you guys, you you might already know that. Uh, Calipari recruits these, these blue chip five-star recruits. And he says, I want you out of here this time next year. He tells them, I want to develop you and send you along with the league. And I'll be honest with you and tell you if you're ready for that. Because it's good for me. It's good for my recruiting to get you to the NBA. It proves that I can develop a pipeline of talent. He's, you know, has some guys, you know, some good old, you know, Kentucky boys or whatever that are, you know, going to be kind of the glue that stick around a little longer. For the most part, you know, he'll recruit seven, eight of those guys and turn them. Uh, now, Nashville SC, they're not going to be necessarily that kind of club, but that example remains that they, as you've said, they benefit bringing players through the pipeline if those players know that they can commit to Nashville SC and in two years perhaps be playing uh, overseas. So I think you want to maximize perform- your players' performance domestically uh, without worrying about where they might be next year and maximize it internationally as well. And I've asked uh, that to people like Mike Jacobs before. You know, how do you How are you feeling when you're watching – Anibal Godoy in Panama, more so Alistair Johnson in Canada, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, everybody's praying these guys come back healthy um, and with some energy to compete. But they know it's good for the club if Alistair Johnson shows out for Canada and that ultimately selling Alistair Johnson is not the worst result for this club. It's actually one of the better results for this club. So uh, my advice, uh, especially to those who are you know big EPL fans who like to see their clubs as destinations and not selling clubs here, cheer for the churn. 
the benefit also, besides wanting the best for these players as individuals, and we've talked to Alistair, you know, we, we've talked to some of these guys who we, we really want to succeed. The benefit beyond the, the human aspect is you get more money in your coffers. Um, you get more stars coming in to fall in love with as, as you have you know, a bigger roster budget, especially when you're able to, uh, to sell homegrown players and, and mm-hmm. pocket some of that cash and then invest that into DPs. Um, over time, too, Nashville SC will have a presence around the world and maybe some killer sell-on dollars. Now, when you look at Finn's examples of, of Zimmerman and Johnston, just so you know, both those guys are under contract for another year. But it is another question, Tim, as you have young players who are not counting against your roster budget, but they begin to age and get out of some of those homegrown benefits. Alex Wheel being an example of this. Mm-hmm then your budget charge is going to go up. This is a salary cap league with the exception of those three DP spots and the, um, the, uh, the fourth under 22. And, and there are some tough decisions to be made. It doesn't look like a whole lot of those decisions will have to be made this season. No, absolutely. I, th- I think the way that Nashville SC has built has been very measured in terms of maybe when some of these guys are going to have opportunities overseas, maybe Alistair Johnston is a little bit ahead of schedule, but I don't think he's ahead enough of schedule to say he's going to be gone this off season in some sort of blockbuster overseas sale, but um, maybe a three or four year project for Nashville SC seems to be exactly perfect for, for what is that sweet spot of finding success with these guys and for these guys before they uh, go over a, to Europe or go over whatever, wherever they want to go to, to make their money and, and make their name. This is a good time to plug a good piece that, uh, Tim, you had on clubcountryusa.com uh, just a few days ago where you looked at the list of free agents for Nashville SC. As the MLSPA released its list of free agents. Uh, there are five players with team options, so the team can choose to pick up their options for another year. David Akam probably out the door given his salary and the fact that he was on loan this year. Dax McCarty, I mean, he just told us he'd love to be in Nashville as long as Nashville will have him, as long as he wants to play. Uh, he's going to stick around, I'm going to think, on, on on that one. I'd be optimistic about Alex Mueel, probably, right, given yeah. his fit with the culture of this club. Eric Miller, deeply respected guy, but he's a veteran, and yeah. I mean, maybe that's and, a place where he's not you on a cheap budget charge right. right now either and that's you know they did negotiate his salary so that it, it could kind of set up uh that's what took him so long to to get a deal in the offseason was that they were kind of trying to figure out the best renegotiation for both both parties and i do think if there's an opportunity to to upgrade on a cheaper dollar or to maintain performance on a cheaper dollar that's exactly right in mike's wheelhouse right <laughs> Yeah, it totally is. As beloved as Eric Miller really is uh, mm-hmm. around that that dressing room. And I think you can say that about a lot of these guys. And then Brian Meredith is the fifth backup keeper. Uh, and, and they like Brian a lot. It's another yeah. case, once again, of of they would have had no problem getting him in. If if we had U.S. Open Cup matches this year, you know, he's a guy that, that probably would have been your cup keeper. Um, he's brought in, though, really to allow Elliot Panico to go down to um, on loan to a USL club and get really good experience. And he's gotten that experience. So we could see Panico come in as yeah. that number two next year. Yeah, I really do think the way that Nashville has has handled the keeper position specifically in the draft the first couple of years in terms of I'm um, signing Brady Scott to, to give to Austin FC, not to be confused with Austin Bold FC, which is where Panico played this year. A lot of Austin keeper stuff happening uh, with Nashville this year. Um, but yeah, I do think that the goal was to bring along Elliot Panico last year. He, he ended up serving as the number two keeper because it was clear that Joe Willis was going to play every meaningful minute. Um, this year he went on loan to get in-game experience that he needed to be 
not just a number two guy, but a number two guy who could potentially play in the future. And that's kind of where Meredith was supposed to kind of fill the gap. And I do mm-hmm. think for that reason that his, his services are, are not necessarily required in terms of what Nashville's depth chart looks like, especially as you see, um, you know, another potentially another keeper coming in the draft this year, but also after bringing in Tor Saunders through the draft last year and, and potentially, you know, more keepers this year, if they if they want to continue loaning guys out, Tor, Tor stayed with Nashville this year to train behind those guys. And that's what Panico did last year. And so I think you're seeing the progression of of young keepers kind of filling in behind Joe Willis and seeing who sticks for the long term. Mike Jacobs with a, a strong long term plan. Who knew? it's only only what he's known for uh two free agents uh abu donladi and jaleel anibaba two guys who command pretty decent salary numbers two guys that that are really respected uh anibaba is is off field work is is it speaks for itself Uh, you wonder i mean and anibaba with such a strong locker room presence maybe he's a guy you pay to keep around um donladi has had an injury history that raises a lot of question marks a guy they would have loved to have gotten more time I could see both of those guys going. If there's one more likely to stay, I would say Jaleel. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Eric Miller is a very popular guy in the dressing room. I don't think they're maybe Dax McCarty, but I do not think there's a more popular guy on this team than Jaleel Anibaba. He's a guy whose teammates absolutely love him, absolutely respect him. Um, and he's earned that respect over the course of his career, too. Um, like you mentioned, Donati's a guy that they would love to have a healthy version of, and they just haven't gotten it enough. Yeah. Now, for both of those guys... Um, you know, Anibaba's getting up there in years, and, and Don Mati does have the injury question marks. If Nashville wants to tender offers to these guys and say, hey, we don't have the same amount in our budget, but we want you to stick around, I think it's probably easier for both of those guys to continue with Nashville if, mm-hmm. if Nashville would like to have them. And, and that would probably be good for Nashville, too, if the number is right. Nothing wrong with a good old hometown discount if you can uh, if you can get it. Sean White with the most important question of the night. Which local brewery has put out the best soccer-themed beer? And he lists some options. Tailgate's 10SC, props for the pun. Mill Creek's Golden Ale, which is no longer, uh, but, uh, but was the USL uh, official club beer. Yazoo's Let My People Gold, which is the official beer of Soccer Moses, a friend of the show. Uh, Fat Bottom's Pitch Invasion Lager. I say long live uh, one that's not on this list, the Breakaway IPA from Fat Bottom, which made a one-year appearance and uh, and then went away as Fat Bottom focused a little more on pitch invasion. I do have some pitch invasion lager in my beer fridge right now. Shout out to a, a business with a strong presence in West Nashville. Um, I've not tried the Let My People Gold. I am a diehard fan of Soccer Moses, so uh, in concept, I'll say that one. Uh, it's pretty fantastic. Um but uh, for me, at least, nothing beat that now defunct IPA. Defunct, perhaps, because it didn't have enough funk. <laughs> oh, Wes. It had, it had been too deep into this episode without a bad pun. So thank you for finally getting us. You thought you had the clean but, sheet. Yeah. And I, no, I, love, I love all my children equally, um, <laughs> except I don't care much for Job. But um, shout out to Arrested <laughs> Development. Uh, wrong with fans there. But uh, no, I mean, I... Mean, I uh, People who know me know that I'm a pretty big beer guy. The IPAs and the golds are not necessarily my thing. Somebody's got to come out with like a penalty kick porter or something. That's what I'm really pulling for. But to this to this point, um, shout shout out to Stephen Mason. I'm gonna have to go with the let my people gold. Yeah, a friend of friend of the pod gets the gets the bonus here. I appreciate the Joe Bluth reference. We've gotten almost like a full season of this podcast without me. I think telling you that my next door neighbor, um, her brother in law is Judge Reinhold. Oh, okay. And he came and watched the uh, the clips a few years ago. 
I watched the solar eclipse with Judge Reinhold, and the whole time I was I was like, "Hi, my name is my name is Judge." Judge. It was it was amazing. Um, we weren't invited over to that neighbor's house for a good while after that. <laughs> Final whistle. Content recommendations. I am not going to give a content recommendation. I mean, you've recommended freaking like custard in previous episodes. I think <laughs> we've long uh, long since exhausted multiple, multiple varieties of custard. Both the Australian <laughs> band and the, the food. Have you heard about this stuff though? The food. Yes. Oh, it's great, great stuff. You're going to become a Culver's guy, aren't you? It's creamy and sweet and delicious. Oh, geez. All right. (laughs) We are recording this fairly late at night. uh, (laughs) I just had my one not. We have not been consuming Let My People Golds over the course of recording, shockingly. (laughs) No, unfortunately not. I have a session tea. Is that a thing? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) My contract recommendation is actually a place, and it's tea line. It is a curling bar in West Nashville. Who is not paying me to say this? Um, we, Unless we they want, want to, they can retroactively. <laughs> I, I don't know if we're going to do back pay for, for sponsorships. <laughs> I don't know. That's a great idea. If they really want to, we're not going to turn the money down. <laughs> uh, it's a curling bar in West Nashville. And every time I mention it to a friend, my wife gets mad at me because she's like, that's our neighborhood bar. We can walk there. Don't tell Nashville about it. The bachelor parties will come. And they will, by the way, because this place is just fantastic. Um, Tim, you, you know the the ownership group behind it. it good Good guys, good place. Uh, you can curl um, if you want to. If if falling on ice is not your thing, they have a bowling alley. They have a a, a, a beer selection, good food, a uh, bunch of TVs, good spot to watch a game or um, slip a lot and fall on your head. Yeah, shout out to the manager Kevin, a fellow Michigan guy, put on the Michigan game for me when I went there on back to back days from oh, nice. Saturday. <laughs> Friday nice, and you Saturday went back last weekend, but. Uh, yeah, no, my content recommendation is actually going to be uh, similar to what I said last week when I said watch the NCAA soccer tournament. This mm-hmm. time it's it's watch the USL. Uh, playoffs are getting down to the very end here. Um, Charlotte Independence and Louisville City FC uh, are, are two teams that Nashville SC fans are probably very familiar with if you've been around since the USL days. And this is a league whose uh, survival and, and thriving is very important to, to not only uh, Major League Soccer. Obviously, Nashville has signed guys out of USL and loaned guys down to USL who have already signed over the years, but also to, to the bigger picture of, of U.S. soccer, uh, both capital S and lower S U.S. soccer. I think it's very important in terms of developing pipelines, but also having places for guys to continue professional careers. That's something that's going to make uh, this entire soccer nation a much better one. And as many of you know who were around for Nashville SC's USL era, it is, it is both high quality soccer, but also wildly unpredictable soccer and mm-hmm. a little bit of both. It is it, it, it just has this great second division feel to it, <laughs> uh, with all the positives and the negatives of that at times. You know, and and you know, Major League Soccer is not known for its predictability anyway. So you can only <laughs> imagine. It's like as everybody says, you know, the NFL is like going to Ruth's Chris. You know what you're going to get every time. It's going to be consistently excellent. It's going to be a little bit soulless, but but it's going to be great. He says, give me, you know, D2 college football because it's kind of like going to your local burger joint. You know, you, you could have the best meal of your life or you could get food poisoning. <laughs> uh, but it's fun. It's exciting. Real Dino's uh, <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the USL is, is like, I mean, MLS is, is wild anyway. It's, it's far from Roots Chris, uh, but uh, certainly USL. Highly entertaining. I'll be watching those matches as well. Um, shout out to FC Tulsa, which bowed out of the playoffs in the first round of Tampa Bay. Got a bunch of friends out in Tulsa uh, working for that club. Uh, Tim, anything else uh, in closing before we uh, say goodbye? Oh, that's about it, man. Everybody, make sure I'm going to scoop you here. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe. 
Most importantly, tell a friend who's very interested in soccer, not only in the city, but in the entire United States. We got a little bit of country in here for you today to go along with our usual dose of club. I got roots in East Tennessee. I always got a little bit of country going on. (laughs) And uh, after that, we'll get out of here. Thanks to Moon Taxi for the music. Thanks to ESPN 94.9, as always, for the highlights and the 440 Sports Network for the platform. We will talk to you soon. It's playoff time, folks. We'll be right back.